This is Russ. We're ready to start another session in Satanism 101, giving exposure to Satan's work in the world today. Now we're going to deal with music, and uh, this will be a shorter lesson because on your notes page and on the web page that comes with this, we've given you a number of, um, well, YouTube videos, especially from reel to reel, that you can take a look at some of the older materials and and see some of what they have done in exposing uh, the use of, uh, uh, well, rock music, music uh, as a platform for satanic um, influence. There's also a great book out that I think that uh, has uh, been updated, a new edition, The Lords of Chaos. Now, when you begin to read this, or if you do get that book and you want to see, that's simply going to give you a lot of... Um, European and some uh, bands in the United States that are clearly uh, and heavily involved in uh, satanic practices. So, by the way, keep yourself prayed up. Listen, going through this course, and as you've noticed again that we've added a few other hours to this course, and uh, we feel that there's some other information that needs to be given, we're glad that during this course there have been those who have written that have asked for help uh, concerning friends and or family that was uh, that have been recruited into Satanism or that got into some kind of level of Satanism. Please realize that this course, even with 25, 26, 27 hours, some notes and resources, really is uh, an overview of all of uh, what is really out there. Every session you can spend four or five hours and, and go into some more detailed information. The important thing is, though, that you are getting this overview, which I would say most believers do not have. So keep your prayers up. If you're looking at your notes, you're on page 34 in the notes, and uh, you are on the web page for session number 17, Satanism in Music. It should be uh, page 15 on your web page. On your notes page, we begin with number one. Is Satan a musical being? Now, I did also add to your web page from Got Questions a link that would take you to uh, information, again, from another source, very good source, I believe, that goes over Ezekiel 28, verse 13, when it describes in the King James and the New King James and other translations too, and maybe even uh, out of the Hebrew, it's a little bit obscure, and everybody who's looked at it has looked at it as though Satan himself has been created with uh, musical abilities within. Now, that should not be a surprise Actually, if you go to Hebrew or the book of Ephesians, rather, chapter 5, we are told to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're told to make, make melody in our heart, literally to allow melody to come out. Think about every worship song. Where did it come from? Well, it came from, we have the ability within to uh, literally create music, uh, put out the notes, the sheet music, the lyrics, all of it and then use instruments in bringing out... So literally, we're, we're, we're musical beings. We have the ability for it. And obviously, there's a great pleasure. That's multi-billion dollar industry, anywhere from opera to country music to rock to, to many other forms. 
Years ago, one of the most purest forms in the earliest church of uh, worship was what was considered chant. The idea of just, without any other instruments, using just your own uh, vocals to worship. And when that really famous chant worship CD came out, it's interesting that around the world it outsold any and all other kinds and forms of music. And when you study the Latin lyrics, you find that it's extremely uh, worship and praise and uh, glorifies God. Well, that's another form. So when we go through Satanism in music, we're not going to just uh, strike out at uh, rock music or whatever else. We're simply going to say that that Satan is definitely a musical being. There's clearly worship in heaven. There's, uh, but there's also this this Ezekiel twenty eight pas- passage, verse thirteen, that talks about these tabrets and pipes or timbrels and pipes, and so. Whatever was actually put into him, uh, most would say that uh, he had the ability uh, to pour forth music and that he would know music. I'm going to say on the basis of biblical revelation across the board, Satan would uh, be very, very interested in music because he looks for platforms. He looks for the instruments to use for his behalf. So when you look at Ezekiel 28, that's where the... um, Majority of individuals go to say, hey, Satan is definitely a musical being or that he led worship in heaven. And all of that is fine. And that's that's most likely the case. And I think with the rest of Scripture, we would find that he would clearly use uh, that he would have a, a methodology and a strategy of using. So when we talk about satanic tools, we're talking about that Satan is after um the tools that are in society. I mean, listen, Satan can use governmental platforms and help create laws. Look in Daniel's day. Satan can uh, use uh, military force. Satan can use just about anything as a platform. He can use idols and instruments and things carved out of wood. Obviously, he gives the inspiration for that. There's satanic arts, satanic symbolism, sig- what are called sigils. And there's so many things when you get into deeper levels of both uh, modern-day Satanism and the uh, past. Now, when we talk about satanic music, I want to mention to you also Anton LaVey, the founder of the Church of Satan in San Francisco that wrote the Satanic Bible. Now, listen, if you're to study a book called the Church of Satan by Blanche Barton, publisher is Hell's Kitchen. You're going to find there uh, the lyrics to the song Rage Satanus, which talks about the rise of the Satanic Empire and the attack on Christendom and the uh, slaughter of Christians. And you'll find that it's set to music, pipe organ music. You'll find that there is clear-cut produced classical music that is sheer that is used in satanic ritual that is used in satanic um well by satanists they even recommended even if you go to some of the satanic sites like the church of satan they have recommended movies and videos as we talked about and sites to go to but also music and it's not always rock 
So when we talk about this, let's just simply do this. When it comes to instruments, in the Old Testament, we find that by the time you get to Psalm 150, and as you've gone through, but specifically as you get to the end, we find that basically every known instrument made could be used in worship to God, could be used in celebration, can be um, simply sanctified by the Spirit of God. In other words, instruments that would be played. Look at David in the Old Testament as he would play that instrument. And that instrument would uh, be an act of worship to God. And as he played that, it seemed as though the presence of God would come. And in the case of his encounter with Saul, who had an evil spirit of depression on him, when he would be called in to play that praise music using the instrument, clearly there was a work of the Spirit of God that brought a sense of manifest presence of God. And so literally God's presence can be manifest in and through the use of musical instruments. It is very clear. And on the other side, since Satan does copy everything, and counter everything. So the counterfeit use of a guitar, the counterfeit use of drums, the counterfeit use of an organ, the counterfeit use of uh, any possible known instrument that a man would have, truly can be uh, led by the, the demonic side and can manifest the demonic side. So very important to understand. It's not a, a certain style. It's not you know. It's not about what we like. If you only like country music and all others is bad, you know all other music is bad. Or if you like only, um, um, you know, gospel quartets. It didn't originate with the church. It originated with secular society. And so you can take a look at uh, even your radio has different stations: classical, soft rock. Um, you can find new age channels with music you can find rock and heavy metal rock and rap and hip hop and oh across the board there's all kinds of styles and the bottom line comes to this the instruments used will they be used and again the idea of the test is a guitar sitting on the ground it really is a neutral instrument it really is who comes by and picks it up and uses it to the glory of whom to the glory of whom? A person could be on stage with, a, with, a, with an electric guitar and be singing and praising Satan and be giving uh, you know honor to Satan and have satanic power and presence to influence an audience. The same is true on the other side. A Christian can have a, a guitar and be singing songs and be praising God and be worshiping God and the manifest presence and power of God can literally lead them and guide them. Where do you look, look? Look back at the hymn book and modern day praise songs. Again, Ephesians chapter five, where believers are called to make melody in our hearts to God. We're to sing to one another hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. And this is all about our worship. And obviously, God inhabits the praises of His people as we gather together and give praise to God, or, or like I did today. Just as I sat back and actually listened to a praise worship song by a known Christian artist, and I just I worshipped the Lord in the midst of listening, and His presence was here. 
And I have been in revival and, and services and so forth where I, I've listened to special music and uh, we've experienced the presence and power. I, I, I experienced that Sunday when the praise team at that church led in worship and even did a special. The power and presence of God was there. So the instruments uh, are neutral. It's all about who picks them up and um, what spirit they have. That's what's going to come through. And if you ever take time to do what we used to call lyric analysis, lyric analysis, that is to analyze the lyrics of songs we listen to. Some people will listen to a song no matter how, how bad the lyrics because they like the tune, and that's part of the problem. See, I have no problem sacrificing a song or getting rid of a song or rejecting a song, no matter how good it sounds, if the lyrics, if the lyrics are, are more satanic or just plain evil or wrong. So very important as we begin here, and maybe some of you are, are musicians out there in church or in a band. I've I've uh, got to meet a number of individuals over the years. My brother being in uh, a very very big position and very big in the Christian music industry, representing. If I named the groups, uh, probably many of you would know the national groups that um, that uh, he allowed me to come to concerts and involved me to come back and meet some of these folks that are the top, you know. Folks out there at all the great concerts and festivals and places and uh, groups that really, really glorify the Lord and really do well. And I've watched over the years the instruments used uh, in, in that realm. And we also, when we did crusades and revivals, we brought in all kinds of music with one, one uh, grid. Uh, are the individuals you know, in a right relationship with Jesus and the Spirit of God, and, and will their music lend itself to the glory of God and to evangelism? Will we evidence the presence and power of the Spirit of God in the use of those instruments and uh, through the instrumentality of those musicians and singers? So I think that's important to realize that God will use. And God gives the talents, I believe. God gives the talents. I'm definitely not a talented uh, musician nor singer. Now, my wife is a great singer and, is, and, is, and, and can play the piano. And my daughter can sing, and uh, she's highly involved in uh, Christian music. But we've got to understand that there is clearly the possible use of the Spirit of God in instruments, through instruments, but only because individuals have the Spirit of God and have a heart to allow God's power, presence, blessing to flow through. And that will become evident. That will become evident. And if you're spiritually, again, filled with the Spirit of God and sensitive and you know the Spirit of the Lord, listen, when you, when you hear music, there's times I hear stuff and I, I instantly say, wow, and I'm overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. On the other hand, I have been drawn into places, and I'll talk about that in a few moments, and, and I know that it's satanic and it releases demonic presence. And I'm going to give you a couple of uh, illustrations of personal experience out on the field where we, we've seen this happen. 
Let me also mention point number two on your page, and that is, is rock music a tool of satanic powers? Well, we've been saying yes. And the principle is this, he who rules the heart rules the lyrics. Well, I would even say this, he who rules the heart rules the lyrics and the musical notes, tones, and abilities. So it's all about, again, the individual that picks up the guitar or the flute or plays the organ or the piano or any other known instrument. It could be a violin that is used in satanic uh, worship. It could be a, a violin that's used in the composing of satanic songs from the Church of Satan. And that occurs. It can also be um, seen on a broader and, and, and wider level in other areas of music, too. And I think that's important because there's, there is a massive, massive platform out there. Uh, and Satan has taken advantage he takes advantage. I mean, sex was created by God for the glory of God and for the good of individuals, for pleasure and procreation and the blessing of God. And uh, the circle in which he created it in is where all the safety and, and blessing and, and, and so forth uh, resides. But take a look at the industry. And now there's a multi-billion dollar industry that has exploited human sexuality. So let me say this, God gave the music, God created the musical ability, God gave it. Even with the anointed cherub prior to his fall, when he was perfect in all his ways, Ezekiel 28, if those are exact um, musical instruments literally created in him, they would have been created uh, perfectly and wonderfully into the glory of God. And that's what I'm going to say about instruments and so forth that are made. Um, and that music that is developed ultimately like sexuality, like the mind of man. It's all, it was all meant for the glory of God and for um, our relationship and that would demonstrate the beauty, presence, and power of God and that there would be a manifestation. Now, the issue again is he who rules the heart rules the lyrics and the sounds and how instruments are used. So when I say is rock music a tool. Let us also say, what about country music? What about barbershop quartet? What about opera? If I look at some of the old, old, old satanic um, type movies, you'll notice that the music is more oriented towards opera and classical and things like that. And as I've said, that uh, many of the elitist satanists, they're not so much uh, rock and rollers. But there's a particular use of the kind of classical music that can be just as um, demonized as any other form. Can country music be literally uh, demon-infested? Rock music, or any let's let's just simply say it: any form of music, any style of music, can uh, become clearly demonized, and the the power of a demonic presence can manifest in and through any form of music if that is what's flowing in and through the heart of the individual that is, um, that is writing the lyrics and that is composing the music and that, that is unleashing it on a stage or somewhere. So that's the bottom line. 
if a person's life, uh, you know, is filled with the Spirit of God and he, they love the Lord Jesus, you're going to notice that the, the lyrics and the music and the presence and the power and where it points people is all of God. And the, and the truth is, the counterfeit to that is when a person's life is given over to the demons, demon spirits can inspire them to use instruments write musical notes, produce music and songs and lyrics that are literally saturated demonically. And if you're a believer that that is, again, filled with the Spirit of God and you got discernment, uh, you can sense it in the listening of any form of music. Now, I want to say this, that spiritual manifestation is uh, does happen in, in the area of music. And we can say that there's a lot of music out there that is somewhat neutral, that it's not really, they're not involved with Satanism. You know, they're not involved. They're just classic classic songs of the 70s, 60s, 50s, whatever. Uh, we, can, we can talk about a lot of those. What about uh, the Beatles' early music when they were singing uh, Twist and Shout? Was that satanic? Well, many would think, well, dancing that way <laughs> was um, when I was a kid listening to that, my father used to make us little hunkies uh, at the Croatian Club where he took us every week, uh, do the twist. We used to hate it. And I never was a dancer, let alone a singer. But think in terms of all the music you've heard, all the music you've listened to, and you're going to see some music is simply, again, individuals, they might not know God, but they sing a love song. There's a song out there called Butterfly Kisses, and it's all about a father's song concerning his daughter. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, there's songs out there that are love songs. Look at the Song of Solomon in the Bible. If some of that was put to music, wow, that's pretty uh, romantically uh, inclined. And uh, some would, you know, if, I think if you took some of the verses out of the Song of Solomon, put it to music, and began to play it, there might be people that will all of a sudden think, "Oh, that's that's evil, that's wrong," because it would almost sound like you're, um, well, uh, peddling some level of erotic uh, lyrics within music, and it comes straight out of the Bible. So it's important again to discern lyrics, because ultimately, it, again. Uh, the lyrics, the notes, and the music played is all dependent upon whoever is ruling the heart of the individual doing it and the spiritual manifestation that can come through. Now, I left you on, on the webpage a number of videos from a ministry out of Florida years ago, Real to Real. I contacted them years ago and had one of their guys come up and do a live, you know, big, when I was pastoring a larger church, uh, a very, very large um, uh, presentation on a big screen. And uh, there were people that showed up that were a little bit bugged about it. But they had a very professional, matter of fact, the videotape, you can still get it on VHS places called Hell's Bells, Real to Real Ministries, I believe out of Florida. And uh, anyway, the videos can maybe take you there, and maybe you've seen those. But we can take a look again, and this is where the idea of exposing evil. You can't expose anything you don't know about. So if you look at some of the songs like Stairway to Heaven, Led Zeppelin, if you look at some of the other songs throughout the 60s and the development, well, we can see clearly an interaction. Now, that's where we get to point three. 
take a look. Take a look at, well, I'm going to say again, take a look at some of the videos, even if you want to stop and pause this, and, and take a look, and, and again, do a little research for the sake. Again, if you're a parent, you have young people. Listen, my mom and dad, they just didn't like the sounds of the music I listened to in the 60s and early 70s before I got saved. So they were not involved in the lyrics. They didn't do lyric analysis. And believe me, when you're a young person, it doesn't make any difference. I have a young person now. I was a young person, and I clearly went to numerous concerts, which I'll tell, which I'll tell you about here in a moment. And, 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 and in those concerts, I learned the lyrics. I remember clearly lyrics. They can run through my head to this very day. And the songs and the sounds of the 60s and early 70s uh, from what some would call the secular side. You could say, well, there's secular music, there's satanic music, and there's God's music. Well, even in the secular vein, you got to, again, do some lyric analysis. It might be very clear that a person is not satanically inclined. Their morality may be off. Their view of life. How many remember the song Dust in the Wind by Kansas? All we are is dust in the wind. All we are is a drop of water in an endless sea. You realize that when you study and do lyric analysis of those lyrics, he's uh, completely singing about pantheism and the concept of being absorbed um, at death. And all we ever do, you know, crumbles to the ground. The idea of a cyclical life, everything goes around in circles. And so when you read some of that, you might even get an element of the, of the book of Ecclesiastes, that everything under the sun is a vanity and chasing after the wind, uh, meaningless. And so you might find a lot of songs like that. Uh, years ago, Meatloaf, the singer Meatloaf, in the, well, in, the, in his group came out, he came out with the lyrics of a song, I Want My Money Back. And when you read the lyrics and hear him sing about, you know, really it's an experience of life that literally is crying out, hey, life cheats you. Uh, life's not what you think it's going to be. And uh, this is not fair, and I want my money back. Have you ever bought something at a store that was defective and you took it back and said, hey, this is defective, I want my money back? Well, he's, he's singing a song about life is defective, and I want my money back. And it's really a song, literally, I've, I've, I've mentioned it in sermons in the context of preaching evangelism, that he's echoing the hurt, the imperfection. And so you're going to find a lot of musicians, they are kind of the poets. They sing out, you know, like grunge music, uh, Nirvana. There are going to be a lot of a pain and hurt, and uh, you can even go to what is called Evo music and and uh, where you know people you know cut themselves and th there's depressing uh, lyrics and talk about suicide and the meaninglessness of life. Goth music does a lot of that, and the pain and sadness. And so musicians will sing about their divorce, about their pain, about people dying, about the loss of their love. Look at look at look at a lot of the country music. You know, people have said before that if you play country music backwards, you get your wife back, your truck back, your dog back, and your farm back uh, as a joke. Because many of the country songs you hear, most of the popular ones, are about love and losses of love and difficulties and all that. And, and you can see a lot of the videos nowadays uh, that include uh, a visual presentation 
of their philosophy of life. So please understand that lyric analysis will, will help you discover somebody's philosophy of life, uh, how they're feeling, how they look at things. Remember the old song, maybe some of you will, Foreigner, I want to know what love is. And I have uh, mentioned that song also in preaching. I want to know what love is. Then, then making a reference to 1 John chapter 3. This is how we know what love is. God demonstrated His love, uh, giving Jesus at the cross and talking about that kind of love. And the reason that singers will sing, I want to know what love is, or the old rock group Nazareth that sang a song um, that love hurts. I mean, think of Tina Turner. Think of all kinds of music. If you begin to think about your world of music and the songs that may have been a favorite or had meaning to you, that... um, that if you begin to think through the lyrics, what are they talking about? Well, again, many talk about their pain, difficulties, philosophy of life. You know, there are just simply some things that are fun songs. I mean, even, well, don't don't laugh at this, okay? Even for kids who've listened and grew up on Barney, I love you, you love me, you know, it, there's music behind that. And they got the kids to sing. And I know some people come out and said Barney's satanic. Well, I don't know that I see any kind of literal Satanism in Barney. Um, so, but I will say that you need to do a little bit of uh, uh, scrutiny on modern-day cartoons. They're not like the cartoons of the past. I grew up on cartoons like Beanie and Cecil and uh, Mighty Mouse, the original uh, nowadays, you have all kinds of uh, satanic themes, cultic uh, imagery, uh, the use of dark powers, conjuring powers, the concepts of superhumans. And there is a sense of fighting evil with evil, but many times there is a use of lighter evil powers to fight darker powers. Well, take a look again at Harry. Look at Harry Potter. And when you begin to look, one thing you recognize in all the Harry Potter movies and books is the absolute absence of God. And so when you hear the music behind the, um, the uh, imagery in the movies or the books that about outsold anything else and that millions of kids have read uh, about, again, lighter level supernatural powers that don't come from God fighting, you know, using sorcery, using witchcraft powers, supposedly in a good way to fight darker and uh, uh, clearly uh, more evil. And that kind of presentation is very seductive, seducing, and... um, and needs to really be be uh, uh, looked at. There are there are so many alternatives for Christian parents and uh, for our music and for our videos nowadays. But see, when I first got saved, I'm going to share this now. This point three. And I'm going to share some personal stuff in this session that I think that uh, would be helpful also. On page thirty-four, point three. Well, I'm going to talk about some of the rock concerts, personal observation. I was growing up in the 60s, 
obviously I heard uh, the Beatles music and uh, the Monkees and, uh, you know, many of the classics of the early 60s. I was very young. But then I began to hear them, you know, in 63, 65, 68, 69. Uh, and then we had this whole invasion of everything coming over from England. And the United States was then just literally gripped. Now, I've said in other literature... Please understand the 60s was very pivotal for the world and specifically for the U.K. and uh, the United States. Because one occult writer, James Webb, in his book, The Occult Establishment, said that it was the second greatest proliferation of occultic literature in history. That's them saying it. Which included, again... Individuals who began to get into occult themes, Aleister Crowley. Many musicians have got into Aleister Crowley, uh, the one of the most prominently known um, occultists, devil worshippers, demonized individuals. Even he said of himself, you know, you know as we've said, uh, the Beast Six Six Six. And that his uh, lyric, that his materials and so forth are there. And you, if you read anything from Aleister Crowley about uh, about his uh, his uh, despising of the family, uh, the sexuality issues, the perversity issues, all of it, you find that it begins to filter in. What were the individuals reading in the end of the fifties and the beginning of the sixties? All the you know, even the Satanic Bible from Anton LaVey came out in the late sixties. So there was an infusion of Eastern, you know, the Maharishi, Transcendental Meditation. You have the Eastern side coming in, giving a kind of a pantheistic Hindu. Uh, the spirits of the East begin to flow in, obviously. But then some of the occult uh, themes began to come in. And as individuals were breaking, quote, tradition, as millions of young people broke away from the tradition of going to church with parents in the mid-60s and became hypnies and beatniks and, and just rebelled and all of that. I mean, I was in junior high and high school during uh, the, the late 60s. And then uh, in, in the, final, you know, the final parts of high school in the, late, in, in the early 70s. And so I went to concerts. As an unsaved person, I was raised in the context of all that kind of music. So at my home, you know, my sister, older sister, listening to the Beatles and, and all that kind of music. Um, I was more inclined for the heavier rock stuff. So in the late 60s, in the early 70s, I'm totally into uh, Black Sabbath, Blue Oyster Cult, Led Zeppelin, a group out of England called Lucifer's Friend. Not too many people heard. It sounded like Black Sabbath. And many of the groups that were like that, Uriah Heep, um, and and some of you can remember uh, songs like "Smoke on the Water." And a lot of the lyrics, if you do an analysis back then, it was about smoking pot and against the war in Vietnam. And uh, but you find begin to find religious themes. You even find a little bit of the Jesus movement of the day in the late 60s and early 70s, filtering in the Doobie Brothers. Jesus is just all right with me. I don't remember that song. So when I got saved and got rid of all the music I thought was wrong, nobody had to tell me, I went out and I heard this song, Jesus is just all right with me. And I thought, oh, cool, a, a song about Jesus. So I went out and bought the Doobie Brothers album 
And uh, when I opened the album, it has men and women all naked laying all over each other in the inside of the album cover. And so there was just simply a a popular sense of, hey, Jesus is a good buddy. Uh, he's a good friend. He's cool with me, too. But we're still going to party and sex it up and get you know drunk and plastered and all that. So it wasn't really what I was ultimately looking for as a new believer in 75. 75 is when I... I uh, I came to Christ, but when I was being raised, you know, outside of Christ, I mean, my philosophy, my lifestyle was again a partier. Uh, I was into, on the one hand, partying and fighting in bars and rock music, and I had a massive, you know, system in my car and at home. I had parties when my parents left in my house, and we were playing, you know, um, all kinds. Uh, of of uh, ma- you know all kinds of music party music and then some of it got into uh, uh, uh you know some of it was very sexually exploitive there's uh, uh so many themes of rebellion of breaking tradition breaking culture and i i could just simply say this take any of the songs you remember in the 60s early 70s or again if you're if you're younger than that if you're only in your 20s or 30s or 40s right now you can look in you know you, you know the 70s or the 80s and and take some of the songs that you think were popular or songs that you know are popular and begin to do a lyric analysis i mean look how famous elton john is but look Look what he's into as far as his lifestyle. Look what he would would promote. Look at Madonna. Obviously, she has a problem with the Catholic Church, with the concept of the Virgin Mary and her mockery. So, if you take a look at some of the, you know, again, the lyric analysis, you see their anger towards things. You see their belief systems coming out. You see, you know, all kinds of, um, you know, uh, beliefs. And uh, those belief systems will flow through uh, the music and with the music, open hearts and minds uh, to be influenced, to sing the songs. Uh, that's why there's been lawsuits where there were songs sung about suicide uh, and then kids went out and you know committed suicide. And so Judas Priest and others and Ozzy Osbourne, many others have been um, attacked uh, uh, verb, you know, in the in the in the in the new, you know public arena media, and even taken to court over their lyrics uh, that they felt influenced uh, young people. Uh, in in and I I can say again in the '60s, there's no question. When I listen to Black Sabbath's you know songs uh, that came out with um, the album Sweet Leaf dealing with marijuana, I listen to their songs concerning their. Um, uh, rebel, you know their 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 version of uh, of being against the war in Vietnam, war pigs, uh, songs that dealt with you know drugs. Uh, well, like they said, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's what the theme was, and all the places we went to listen to it was you know bars and drinking and partying and looking for just you know quote fun and anything we can get ourselves into. And then that in, in led to many other things. But what began to creep, in, you know, creep in in the '60s was a lot of the, a lot of uh, musicians that were looking spiritually. If you track Ozzy Osbourne, and you look and do, and I did this because he was a major person I listened to, I uh, and track the, you know, his lyrics, 
in Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, he has a song where he literally questions. He says the phrase, in talking to some kind of presence that was getting into his life, he asked the question, quote, who in the hell are you? In reference, uh, he sang a song about Crowley, Aleister Crowley. Look at Led Zeppelin and Jimmy Page buying the, you know, the, 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 uh, the property of Aleister Crowley and getting into the books and materials and singing about him. Goat's Head Soup, is that the name of, a, of an album? Look at the Rolling Stones that were quoted years ago in uh, Rolling Stone magazine about their trip to South Africa, learning some voodoo that they might vex their audiences. There is no question that bands have been um, uh, written about and documented that they had done satanic uh, worship uh, to bless their music, to sell their music. Uh, You can read albums, uh, well, even like the Black Sabbath one, we sold our souls for rock and roll. And that's true for a number of individuals. And just because a person's a, a musician doesn't mean they may be the best musician in the world. But the question is, who comes through? What spirit comes through? Jim Dandy from Black Oak, Arkansas, years ago, if you remember them at all, and we won't even have time to go into backmasking. If you want to do that, you can. There's a few videos on YouTube if you put it, if you type in backmasking, especially with Led Zeppelin's song, Stairway to Heaven, talking about, oh, my sweet Satan. And you can clearly hear that. And it wasn't done um, in some kind of studio. But the worst I've ever seen and heard was from Jim, Jim Dandy in Black Oak, Arkansas, when they were live on stage doing a particular song, were literally on stage, there was clearly a demonic manifestation. Clearly demonic manifestation in what occurred on stage. When you play it backwards, you hear, I mean, again, praises to Satan. Now, how do you do that live? And so there are those who felt that Jim Dandy and Black Oak, Arkansas were highly involved in satanic themes. Now, I'm just going to share some of the things. When I got saved in 1975 and filled with the Holy Spirit uh, the night that I got saved, I was just completely, totally, radically changed because I was raised outside. I didn't know but a few verses of Scripture. And when I got saved, everything changed on the inside. I was washed, cleansed, born of the Spirit of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, ready to win the world to Christ. And um, as I began to get my first Bible, I didn't even know where to get a first Bible again at that time. And I had to go through my own room. I had a basement room in our home out in the suburbs and very big room where we had parties and where drugs were done and where, you know, drinking and just, you know, what, what kids were doing in the end of the 60s, early 70s. And I had a poster up of a demon coming out of the fire and other things like that in my room. I had other literature, occult-oriented and satanic literature in the room. So I can remember getting saved and being just completely, um, man, I just love Jesus and all I cared about. So I, I had to go into that room and literally clean out everything, pull down everything, and not give it away, but burn it. And please understand, I had, uh, in those days, the eight tracks and albums and things like that, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth. 
But really, in my earliest days, first month of being a believer and being so excited and loving Christ and wanting the Word of God in my life, that nobody had to tell me. What I did was, I went home one day, I think it was after church, and I just knew, and I looked around at everything, I gathered up all the music, took everything in a basket, and took it all outside to the trash burner. And I was throwing eight track after eight track, and album after album, and literature, and books, and and posters, and everything that I had that I felt was evil, that was wrong, that was not uh, to the honor of God, not to the honor of Christ, and uh, that just was not clean. Uh, the Spirit of God, all I can tell you is the Spirit of God led me to do that. And I believe that's what helped me you know, grow you know, in those early days because there was a clear willingness to get rid of anything. The Bible talks about in the book of First Peter chapter 2 to rid ourselves. Well, we're to rid ourselves of the things of the flesh and obviously of anything, anything satanic, obviously, any doorways. So I, I didn't even know about so-called doorways where Satan could have room and things. I didn't know about that kind of stuff. I just know that I needed to, I just felt led to burn, and I, so I did. I remember a friend, a non-Christian friend showing up while I was burning everything, and he was just absolutely beside himself. He's like, what are you doing? And he wanted everything. And I, and I was like, no, I'm not going to give you everything because of, because of the influence. And so I burned everything, and I felt so right and so good and clear. Now, it's not because I rejected you know, instruments or certain kinds of music. It's because I rejected the spirit and the lyrics, uh, the philosophy of life, and the things that uh, would not um, be beneficial. You might think some things are permissible, but not everything's beneficial, as Paul says in Corinthians. We can also read about how, you know, bad company can corrupt good morals. You know, what you do listen to and the lyrics thereof definitely has an effect. Obviously, when it comes to worship music, you can be affected positively, powerfully. You can care about souls. You can love God. You can care about making sure your life is, you know, right in all kinds of ways. But you can also listen to other music. They can bring a darkness and oppression and bring influence. And so through the days and years since 75, uh, being led by the Spirit of God to get rid of all of that, and uh, I, I didn't care. I didn't care if there's any other kind of music. I didn't care. It was Jesus first. It didn't make any difference to me. The Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, therefore, that if we really want to walk, let, let, let God walk with us in an experiential way, uh, to purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. So when you do a lyric analysis, if it contaminates you spiritually, then it's got to go. I don't care how, again, how popular. Please understand. I don't care how popular. I don't care how, how good it sounds. I don't care how absolutely expert a musician is. I mean, if they're singing about homosexual experiences, I, I can't listen to that. If they're singing about things anti-God, I can't listen to that. If they're singing about illicit things, I, I can't listen to that. If they're singing about their own depression and suicide, I can pray for them. 
obviously the music sounds good enough for millions and millions of people to buy and, and, and get a hold of. Now, years later, you know, as I grew my life and, and began to uh, use, uh, you know, have Christian music and even have to discern through there uh, about, you know, what to listen to, what not to listen to. Well, the issue was when I became a police chaplain, all the folks down there knew, you know, of course, he's a pastor, he's a Christian, all that kind of stuff. Well, they all wanted me to come because in the university here, they hosted concerts. It was called the Jar Arena, where they would have over 4,000 people. Now, we in Youth for Christ, when I was a leader, a director there, we rented, went out and recruited over 250 volunteers, Christians, from 40 different churches to go out and get kids and bring kids in. And we brought a major Christian artist in packed the place out. I don't know if it was four or 5,000 people. They had to shut the doors because it was a free concert. They took a love offering, of course. But um, And the person that did all the music, I went up and prayed with him. And again, if I mentioned him, you'd probably know him, a uh, well-known uh, household name in Christian music. And, and he did the concert. Now, the problem was he gave an invitation, but he had nobody there to deal with people. He had no literature, but we had 250 people trained. And literally, we were there for hours, even after the band and all the thousands of people left, because we had a couple hundred people come forward. And so our people had to take them back. And uh, um, we we probably saw that night alone in in personally leading and praying with people, uh, you know, close to a couple hundred people that had gotten saved and many Christians who who came out of their backslidden state surrendering into the Lord and praying for a lot of other needs, too. So we learned how to use uh, particular music, but we were particular that they would be evangelistically oriented. I had the same opportunity at a large uh, church where I pastored. There was enough seating for 3,000 uh, plus in the building. And so we brought, in, uh, we brought in some of the most popular gospel quartet on the one hand and uh, Christian contemporary on the other hand. And numerous times we packed out the place, but we had one specific rule that it had to be evangelistic, we had to give an evangelistic invitation, that we had to have a, a number of hundreds of tickets uh, only geared to give to those soul winners who would definitely bring a lost family member or a lost person to the, to the concert um, uh, and, and be there to experience the con uh, concert, to hear the testimonies and songs, and then to hear the gospel preached. And guess what? Hundreds of people got saved. And I remember one Christian artist, again, would have been well-known, very very bugged with, and basically refused to give an invitation. And there were 3,000 or more people out there waiting. And I said, well, listen, if you're not going to give an invitation, either I'm going to give an invitation or you're canceled. And so the guy went out there, did his stuff for an hour and a half, almost two hours. Then he went overtime another 20 minutes. And then he just hurriedly quickly got up and got off the stage. And dismissed the people. People were beginning to walk out of the building. It was really sad. It really was for a Christian to do that. And so I ran out there really quick, and I got the microphone. I tried to call, stop the people. And, you know, I, I, I wanted to say thank you for coming and, and whatever. And it was very hard because hundreds of people were up, and people were already out the door. But we stopped them for a second and, and shared the gospel for a moment and invited anybody who needed Jesus. You know what? Instantly, a man came forward to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. And others came. And who knows what could have happened if the gospel would have been preached wonderfully and in power and love to uh, many hundreds of people that may have not known Jesus at all. 
So I think that um, on the one hand, I've seen and I believe that 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 the concert uh, in many different styles were used evangelistically, and of course, a blessing to believers, but evangelistically. Now, the other side of the story was there's a satanic agenda. When the officers at the, at the at the police department at that university brought me in as a police chaplain, they wanted me to come to all the concerts at the Jar Arena, which included Marilyn Manson, Pantera, uh, Danzig, Slayer. I mean, anybody can get a hold of Slayer's album, South of Heaven. And there's a song on there called Spill the Blood. And literally, by listening to the words, it's almost like it would be Satan himself inviting a person to spill their blood and to offer themselves to Satan in, in Satan's service. There are, there are bands that gave invitations for students and kids to come down and give themselves to Satan. Oh, you won't, you won't hardly believe what they've done. There are bands that you can read in the book Lords of Chaos. Or if you have a local, um, if you want to do a little research, a simple research, go to the local Borders bookstore or Barnes & Noble bookstore. Go to the music section of the magazines and look for a music um, magazine called Pit Magazine. And just look through it. You're going to see band after band after band with, with uh, visual imagery on the fronts of their, their cover and on their advertisements where they're, where they're shredding Jesus Christ to pieces, putting him on an upside-down cross, mocking him, blaspheming him. Uh, the kind of uh, title behind all of this uh, influences, uh, well, one bumper sticker that uh, Zeph told me about was, uh, uh, it stated this, uh, too many Christians, not enough lions. There now is music with lyrics that are so Luciferian, so satanically oriented, that sing about slicing up Christians, destroying Christians, bringing the arenas again, bringing in the animals to rip us apart. The lyric analysis of some of the bands, even the imagery... And the titles of the names, I mean, all you'd have to do is look at Pitt Magazine and see this at any place. You can look at it online. Look, just, just do a Google search of satanic rock bands, especially in Europe, where, you know, where arms are cut, blood is used, blood is drunk. Um, literally, ritual words used in actual satanic rituals are brought into the songs. The names of real demons are brought into the songs. So there's no question that there is clear uh, demonic. Now, when, for example, when I was at the Jar Arena and Marilyn Manson was there, and see all the cops, they always wanted to get me and like kind of push me right into, into the, like when uh, Typo Negative came. And uh, when Peter um, Steele, the singer, and, and uh, they wanted me to meet him because one of the officers who came out of Satanism um, shared with certain individuals, you know, they shared with me who was into it, who was not, and uh, wanted me to meet different ones. And they all wanted me to meet uh, Marilyn Manson. Now, when Marilyn was singing on the stage, I'm like 15 feet away from him in the back with uh, other cops in, in the crowd and watching thousands and thousands of students go wild, of course, for him. But twice, cops ran to me and said, did you see that? Where literally, Marilyn, in his thong and uh, doing what he was doing, 
Again, spiritually, there's no question that he lost himself for a few moments and a demonic presence took over, literally observing through him. And it was almost as though there was a, a clear acceptance of the adoration of the crowd by the satanic presence. And that occurred twice. And though I saw it directly with my own eyes, even cops that were not saved came to me and said, did you see that? Did you see that? At the end of the session, of course, when he began to bust up everything on stage, the cops come on stage and pull him off the stage to the back. That's where the cops took me and wanted me to meet with him. But he fell to the ground, and he literally made weird growling sounds. And I'm standing there, feet away from him. He's out of it, and his people basically just took him and dragged him back I had uh, no ability to, to, to encounter him. We watched as Danzig came. Now, Danzig came and sang his songs, a lot that deals with Satanism and sex and so forth, anti-God. Obviously, Marilyn Manson was very anti-God. And actually, Pantera was very anti-God and very Aryan-oriented. And not only did they get the crowd to scream the words GD over and over and over again, you know, literally damning uh, God, cursing God. They then led the crowd into saying, Hail Satan, and had thousands of people saying it and saying it and saying it. So being a part of some of that, please understand, I stood there just praying, and I just stood there just unleashing and just, man, because I saw students that passed out with drugs and other things that occurred, and it's really kind of strange, all that I saw. And in the concert with Danzig, most people don't know that he's a cartoonist, that he puts out cartoon books. And one of the cops said, go over there and buy one of his cartoon books, little magazines. So I went over there and bought one, brought it back. thought I'd just see satanic themes. Inside of it, it had demons raping teenage girls. Demons raping teenage girls. So please understand that the instruments can be used to the glory of God or to the to the influence of Satan, by the influence of Satan. And obviously out there, there's a, a major platform. And we would cry out to musicians, you know, to say, who are you allowing to use you? Take a look. Even the most, you know, powerful musicians out there and uh, bands that have been out there, what have you really done other than making millions of dollars and becoming well-known around the world you know, you two singing, you know, I, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Have you listened to that song where he talks about how he how he spoke in the tongues of men and angels? It's almost like he said he looked into the church and he saw some things and whatever else. And then he looked at over here and saw and he still he's just simply describing he still hasn't found what he's looking for. I mean, when you're born again and you really know Jesus, you know what you have found. And so on the one hand, there needs to be a great, great, you know, reaching out to the world of rock and rollers. And there's great ministry that goes that direction. I remember Scott from uh, the rock group Creed a number of years ago, one of the number one bands in the world, that some Christians decided to contact him, and he agreed to come and be interviewed for TV, Christian TV. And I couldn't believe when I listened to this lead singer of Creed say, 
that the most influential person in his life that brought the biggest impact was a youth pastor. A youth pastor brought the biggest influence into his life. Now, dealing with uh, being a pastor and seeing young people and others and, and even staff workers that were part of Christian bands and using them to reach people, kids for Christ. You know, I, I, musicians all around us all the time and seeing a church that had a large praise band. And uh, we knew what it was to worship God and the power of God, the presence of God, and, and uh we knew that, but on the other side, we also would use music on those Friday nights and so forth uh, and see the power of God. And we saw young people that knew the difference, that used to sing on the wrong side, partying, drugs, Satan, and wear the patches and do the songs, now saved on the other side doing you know, enormous things for the Lord Jesus. Well, in point four of your page, we can go on and on, and I can tell you more stories and so forth. Uh, you might have your own. But again, it comes down to under ridding yourself of any kind of you know satanic influence in music and so forth. Even if you're a musician. Years ago, my brother being a, a, a great musician contacted me about you know a certain concern he had years ago. And I just told my brother to surrender his life to offer up his instrument, his talent, everything to God. And shortly after that, he got involved with a Christian band in Southern California. They put out a number of albums, won Dove Awards, been all over the place. And now he's in one of the highest levels of Christian music, um, producing and being out there with, uh, with some of the biggest kind of worship bands and prominent bands that are, that are really powerfully used of God. And it's a great thing. But it all comes down to, again, that it's not the instrument. It's the life. Like your life. It's, you could have a butter knife in your hand and butter some bread and give it to a hungry person. But evil people can take a butter knife and, and hold somebody up and steal their money or stab them. So, again, the question would be, if you're a musician, if you know musicians, and if you're really into music's, music and, and lyrics, and maybe you write songs, you know, offer it all up to God. Offer it to Him to allow the power of the infinite Spirit of God to use your life. To use your music to glorify God in such a way to reach out to culture, to impact people, to get people saved. Now, I want to say very clearly in the end here, and I encourage you to sacrifice the sound and even the lyrics of any music, any form of music, um, if, if it is clearly in lyric analysis as you analyze what they're saying in the lyrics. Because what they're saying, if it lends itself to the enemy, remember Ephesians chapter 4? where it says, Be angry, but don't sin, and don't let the sun go down on your anger, and give the devil a foothold, topon. A lot of angry singers, bitter singers, depressed singers, oppressed singers. In the past, that could have included at times, clearly, Elvis Presley, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Keith Moon, and many others of today. 
Look at some of the number one things on television. What's it all about? Musicians and singers. American Idol. Obviously, music plays a big part, and you better believe Satan knows how to take what once was created by God and for the glory of God and the good of people and use it for evil. And so much of the music and the lyrics that are out there today clearly have become a platform, a topon, a door for satanic presence. If praise music, and if you th- you sit back right now and begin to praise God and worship or put some praise music on, you're going you're gonna to feel how praise, there's a manifestation of the presence of God as you do that. Please understand where there is clear, satanically oriented lyrics and music that it can clearly bring a manifestation, a summoning of demonic presence. Realize that music is a very powerful platform. But for whom? But for whom? So if we're going to be, as it says in Romans chapter 12, you know, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, not being conformed any longer to the patterns of the world, we need some radical Christian singers that will be absolutely radical in reaching the young people of our day, that will be radical in unleashing by the guidance of the Spirit of God lyrics that would even contain the Word of God in preaching out and uh, drawing people to Christ. Don't you think? Don't you agree? Well, listen, we've gone well over an hour just on this subject. We could spend 15 hours. That's why we've given you the the YouTube videos, suggested some of the other uh, resources there, and you can take a look at that. And again, in your personal life, you're going to have to evaluate 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1 to purify yourself from everything that contaminates body and spirit. And I have always been willing to give up any kind of music, any kind of sound. I don't care how emotionally attached, and watch out for that too, if it, wasn't, if it was really anti-God, if it was really wrong. I don't care if the sound was good, if the lyrics are you know, clearly uh, wrong, I, th- I have no problem throwing it out. And if I didn't have any music, okay, that's fine. But again, on the other side of the fence, God has given us gifts. God sanctifies the talents. God blesses people with the talents. And I believe that those on the side that that uh, know Jesus and the power of the Spirit of God and know what the ministry and mission is all about, the using the instrumentality of music uh, on mission fields to do plays and music and to draw individuals to hear um, Otherwise, it's nothing but selfishness. And has led, and much of that selfishness has led to the suicide of many musicians. With all the money, all the fans, all their sex. Let me tell you the last thing, okay? Even when I was lost and unsaved, I went to a concert hall in Cleveland called the Allen Theater. And it was there that I saw Hawkwind and many other bands, but one night it was the rock group Kiss, Gene Simmons. You've got the picture, right? 
And I can remember watching them and the red junk he would spit out of his mouth. And I watched as individuals would take their clothes and, and rub the red, you know, right in that red stuff that came out of his mouth. It was supposed to be like blood. And, and, and like that was a big thing to take home. And, of course, he was into sex with every possible woman he could get. And you can read about that in his own books. Because I met Gene Simmons. By the sheer providence of God, I was at a restaurant close to my home next to the airport here. And as I walked in, I saw him sitting there, and we were sat right, I'm, I'm, I'm four and a half feet away from him. My wife, is, uh, his, her back's to him. So I'm sitting there, and I'm looking, and I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to witness? I pull out a gospel track in my pocket. I begin to write notes on it, put my email address, my phone number, everything. And I'm writing down, hey, Gene, I don't, you don't know me, but if you ever need a prayer. So I got this gospel track, and I'm wondering, how am I going to get it to him? So I finally called the, the waitress over and uh, talked her into giving me his bill for lunch. And I bought Gene Simmons, I bought his lunch purposely to get a doorway. Sure enough, he begins to look for his bill and begins to argue with the woman, uh, the waitress. And the waitress gets scared, looks at me and says, and, and says Gene to Gene, he did it. He, he bought your meal. Gene Simmons stood up in the restaurant and began to say, no, 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 give me my, and I said, no, no, really, it's a gift. It's a gift, Gene. I bought you your lunch. And by the way, and I walked over to him quietly and just stood right in front of him, handed him the gospel track and said, listen, Gene, I know where you're coming from. I came from that world. Um, but I'm, I know Jesus, and I'm a Christian, and I'm a pastor. And I want you to have this gospel track. And if you ever need a prayer or if you ever want to talk about things, I'd be glad to talk about it. He looked at me. He says, you think I've been in drugs all, you know, he says, I've never done drugs in my life. He began to go on this big story. He never did drugs, whatever else, uh, other than he did a billion women uh, sexually and all that he's talking about. And he said he, that he studied theology. And he was very intelligent, but also arrogant. And he began to ask me, what's Jesus's real name? And we got into an encounter about that. And he goes, no, no, Jesus was just a rabbi, basically, because of his Jewish theology that he, that he studied and. And when I quoted to him, by the Spirit of God's leading, I quoted to him uh, Isaiah 53, and also about unto us a child is born. And I said, Jeans, haven't you read this? 700 years before Jesus came. Emmanuel, God, he was kind of blown away. I could see that he never read that. He didn't know that. Then he goes, well, what about this Holy Ghost person? I said, you mean the Spirit of God? I looked at him and I said, Gene, here he is right here inside of me. And I felt the presence and power of God, and Gene knew it. Ultimately, Gene accepted the gospel track. Ultimately, he said he would read it. And I've never stopped praying for him to this very day. Listen, my friends, let's, let's do the mission of God in the power, presence, love. Wonder where it will all take you. Just be faithful to God. Individuals will die and go to hell. Satan will use music for his influence, his agenda. And powers, demonic powers can come out of those musical forms. So we got to make sure that we, on our side as believers, are cleansed of every kind of satanic use, do a lyric analysis and purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, and then live for the glory of God and lead others to live for the glory of God. And if you're a musician, man, surrender it all to the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his all for you at the cross and allow his power, presence, love, his beauty to come through your life. Hey,
We're at the end of this session. We'll see you in the next one. The Lord's blessing to you as you think through and pray through this session.